Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 16. We'll read verses 16 to 33. Please stand and show respect for the reading of God's holy word. John 16, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while. And you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying... A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving this world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. May God add his richest blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, that our eyes would be open, our ears would be unstopped, our hearts would be made alive, that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, that we would hear his voice and his sheep would know him and follow him, and that we would offer ourselves to him 
promptly and sincerely. So speak to us in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Jesus wins. For the last three or four months, we have been in this long passage that extends from John 13 to 16, and though it has taken 10 or 12 messages to get through it as we come to the end of chapter 16 today, it all takes place at the Last Supper on the night Jesus was betrayed. This is one long record of the final meeting Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross. And he has been telling them the deep things of God. He has been telling them about how the Son and the Father are in each other and how they will send the Holy Spirit down to bring their shared life into our hearts and how we are in Christ as branches are in a vine. And he has been telling them that it is to their advantage for him to go away. And of course, at this point, the disciples could not take it all in. They could not really grasp it. But a great teacher tells his students what they need to know, even if they cannot yet fully comprehend it. We had a professor like that when I was in seminary. He's with the Lord now. I'm uh, sorry, Jonathan never got the opportunity to take his class, but uh, he had pastored churches for uh, 40 years before he taught at the seminary. And uh, his goal was to get us students in touch with reality. And uh, students used to leave his classes confused, even angry at some things he had said. Some even wondered out loud why they let this man teach at the seminary. So many times I have heard old friends say, if I have said so myself, back when I was in seminary, I didn't appreciate what he said nearly enough. Now that I'm actually pastoring a church, I realize most everything he said was right. And uh, since one of his other former students was there, let me say, I don't believe in telling stories instead of preaching the way he said. But as far as regular stuff goes, I think it was right. disciples here, they they cannot really grasp what Jesus is saying at this point, but they need to hear it. And one day, later on, it will make sense to them. One day they will so be so glad he told them this information. They will need it. One day. And Jesus, the great teacher, does not hesitate to tell them what they need to hear simply because they can't understand it. And so as he draws to a conclusion in the passage before us, though it is still largely over their heads, Jesus makes one thing so plain that they can get it right then and there. He wins. And in the end, that's what really matters, isn't it? Jesus wins. 
Let's get to it. First, in this passage, you see that the grave cannot hold him. Look at verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. Now, if you've been tracking with us through these passages, you know that Jesus has been speaking at times in these chapters about his death and at other times about his ascension into heaven and his return from each, both his return uh, from the grave and his return from heaven. At the end of the world. But there's a big difference. He came back from the grave three days later. It's been nearly 2,000 years since his ascension. And he has not returned. And yet he has come to us through the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 16 he says, In a little while you will see me no more. And then a little while again and you will see me. Now notice here in verse 16, he does not talk about going away. Only you will not see me, then you will see me. The disciples are confused. Look at verse 17. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. You see their confusion. (coughs) But from our perspective, after the cross and resurrection, we understand that, that here Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection in just a little while. Tomorrow, that is... I will die and be buried, and you will not see me. But then again, in just a little while, three days as the Jews counted it, I will rise, and you will see me again. This reading is confirmed in verse 20. Look at it. (coughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. What filled them with sorrow? The death of their master. But what turned their sorrow to joy? The resurrection of Jesus. Turn to John 20, just a couple pages ahead. John 20, and look at verse 19. John 20 and verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's the day Jesus rose, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They saw him and were glad after he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And here in John 16, Jesus had said, You will not see me, then you will see me, and your sorrow will turn to joy. It happened when he rose from the dead. Though his disciples 
could not understand it that night. Jesus was telling them, and later it all made sense, that they would see him in just a little while and they would rejoice because the grave could not hold him. Secondly, in this passage, you see that no one can take away his joy. Look at verse 20 again. John 16, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. As the disciples are mourning and sorrowful, the world is happily rejoicing. The world is opposed to Jesus. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When sinful man is confronted with the light of the world, he seeks to snuff out that light. And so the world rejoiced at the death of Jesus and the sorrow of his disciples. Much like we read in Revelation chapter 11 that when the two witnesses are destroyed, the world rejoices that God's witnesses have been killed. But Jesus says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. He gives an illustration. Not sure how well those men were able to understand it, but Jesus knew that many Christian women down through the centuries, including my wife, would read John 16. Look at verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now I'm not going to be tacky, I hope, today. You know, I'm a fairly formal person. But I want to say personally that I married Superwoman. I have never seen physical pain and suffering that comes anywhere near what I have seen my wife go through four times now. And I'll spare you any further detail. But when that new baby is handed to her every time, there is a joy that not even that tremendous pain that I can't begin to imagine can take away. And here Jesus describes his death and resurrection in these terms. But, but strikingly, he doesn't describe his pain in his death, but his disciples' anguish when they think they've lost him. But when he comes back and they see him again, he says there will be a joy that no one can take away. This does not mean that if you are a Christian, you have to be happy all the time or that you will have no sorrow or depression. But for the true believer, on the worst day, Jesus is still risen. He is still alive. And while a true believer may be clinically depressed... 
in his heart, he knows Jesus is alive. And nothing can take that away. You know, if we want to carry out Jesus' illustration a little further, it's not always safe to do that, but I think we can with this one. In many cases, the pains, hours after the baby is born, can be just as intense, if not even worse, than the actual birth pains. Yet the joy of the new baby has already begun. The sorrow does turn to joy, but generally the joy begins before the sorrow is gone. One day all will be made perfect. In heaven we're told there will be no tears or sorrow or any more pain, but until then we already have a joy that cannot be taken away. Jesus rose again. He is alive. Jesus wins. You see, the grave cannot hold him. No one can take away his joy. Thirdly, you see that we have access to the Father through him. Look at verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. I ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. They've been wondering. They've been asking Jesus, what do you mean they don't understand it? But Jesus says one day, rather than ask me all these questions, you will be praying to the Father. You see again there in verse 23, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. By the way, it's As far as I know, it is all right to address prayers to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit or even Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the standard way for the Christian to pray should be to pray to the Father through the Son in His name. But Jesus goes on here to head off a misunderstanding. Uh, Sometimes, and And preachers are bad to make it sound this way, if I may confess. We almost act like the Father does not want to hear us because of our sin, but the Son intercedes and sort of persuades the Father to show mercy to us. It's easy to preach that way. It's dramatic. But it's not right. Look at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Father himself loves us. He already loved us. Even before he gave his son, the Father already loves us. John 3.16, God so loved the world first that he... Gave his son. Consequently. But through Jesus. In Jesus. We are assured of answers. We have complete access. To the father. 
And you remember from a couple weeks ago, the answer to prayer in Jesus' name is the Holy Spirit. Now turn back a couple pages to John 14, 26. John 14, 26. Jesus says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is sent in Jesus' name for the purpose of teaching what Jesus had said, of bringing Jesus and his teaching to remembrance. So the asking in Jesus' name corresponds to what or who is given in Jesus' name, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him in Jesus' name. What do the disciples want? They want Jesus to be with them. They're sad because he is leaving. They will ask the Father for his presence and receive the Holy Spirit and so they will have his constant abiding presence in their own hearts and souls. You see that Jesus wins. The grave cannot hold him. No one can take away his joy. We have access to the Father through him. Fourthly in this passage, you see that the Father is with Jesus. Look at verse 29. And now, excuse me, back to John 16. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now the disciples think they figured it all out. But Jesus points out they hadn't figured out as much as they think they had. I remember the first time a man whom I consider to be a mentor showed me how to use a coping saw. We were putting up some molding. And I thought I had figured it out. And then I tried coping a joint on some crown molding without any assistance or supervision, and I had a problem because I had to preach the next day and I had no religion left. So I did what I reckon everyone does. I got a long strip of molding. I cut it up into pieces, mitered at 45-degree angles, and spent most of the day with a coping saw practicing. And I finally got the hang of it about three blades later. Now when I walk into a house, the first thing I do is look up and see if the crown molding was put up by a real carpenter who coped the joint or whether it was some fly-by-night contractor that just mitered two 45-degree angles and stuck it together. You know, we don't catch on quite as fast as we like to think we do. Most of us don't anyway. And here the disciples, they think, I've got it now. We understand now. But look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He says, you're not there yet. You're about to leave me. 
You're about to scatter all over the place and leave me. But look at the end of verse 32 again. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus doesn't need us to help him get the job done. He has the fire. You understand that if he was dependent on us, he would have lost. We would have lost eternally. But thank God he's not dependent on us. All the disciples scattered, but he was not alone. Father was always with him. You see, the grave could not hold him. No one can take away his joy. We have access to the Father through him. The Father is in him. And fifthly and finally, you see that Jesus wins. He overcomes the world. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, there are two places in this verse. There is in Christ, and in him, he says, we have peace. In me, you may have peace. And then there is in the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. I think this is why the Apostle Paul would address his letters, you remember, to the saints in Christ in Thessalonica or wherever he was sending the letter. You are in Christ, yet you are still in the world. In him you have peace, in it you have tribulation. And we are in both at the same time. Which one will win the day? Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus wins. He bore the curse, the sin that creates such tribulation in this world. He settled it, and he rose, and in rising, he won. And the question he puts to us is, are we in him? In him you may have peace, though there is tribulation in the world, and though you will experience that tribulation. That's all that matters. There's a great New Testament scholar who told a story about some of his students at the seminary. It's not the seminary that I attended. I wasn't smart enough to attend the seminary where he teaches. But these brilliant young students had gone off to play a basketball game, a pickup game in a gym, and they noticed a a man, it was his job to clean the gym. And he was waiting on them to finish their game so he could clean it up and close it down and go home. They noticed while he was waiting for them, must not have been 
too much of a basketball game. He wasn't watching them. He was sitting there reading a book. And they went over and looked and noticed he was reading the Bible. And one of these students, one of these intellectuals, kind of looked down on this man. Said, what you reading? He said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. The student thought, man, this, this janitor, he, he doesn't understand Revelation like I do. He said, would you like me to help explain it to you? He looked and said, no, sir, I don't need you to. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, I sure do. Jesus wins. That's it. Jesus wins. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.